Thanks for tuning in to the ABC Music Talk podcast, the show for anyone interested in the music industry. Two years ago, I interviewed Aston Mike's founder on the subject of innovation. Aston Mike's, by this point, was an established company. But in this episode, we're going to take a look at what innovation is like at the point of launch. But first, time for me to remind you all to go row to your videos. Rota is for artists, managers, labels, or anyone in the music industry who needs to create video content for promotion or monetization. Rota makes it fast, easy, and inexpensive to do all of that in one place. Head to www.abcmusic.co and click the Rota logo on the homepage to access a 10% off discount for the service. Welcome to the show, CEO of A Slice. Ethan Holborn. Hello. Hello. Well, thank you for uh, staying up late, because uh, where are you in the world? I am, um, you can hear that I'm an American, but I am currently in Melbourne, Australia. So it's uh, it's it's evening for me. Thankfully, it's not one of these brutal middle of the night calls. Yeah, well, we just about have enough crossover, don't we, to make it uh, uh, sensible. Yeah. As I mentioned in my introduction, you're about to launch this business. When is launch? How fresh is this? Yeah. We are actually, our media announcement is for Tuesday, March 29th. So we're just, uh, you know, three business days away from launch or, you know, a little bit less than a week. Uh, as you can imagine, it's uh, all hands on deck over here. And, and what I love about that is that you're taking time to talk to me, uh, which I think is hilarious. Uh, so I, I don't know if this is how you should prioritize your time, but we're doing it now. So we'll just stick with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into what A Slice is, can we get your background, please? Because uh, I always ask my guests because it helps set the scene. Uh, I think like anybody, um, or like a lot of us, right, I, I kind of started in the DIY music world. I got started DJing and, and kind of playing in bands was when I was a teenager in Lansing, Michigan. Um, and that kind of, that really turned into like DJing a lot when I was still a teenager in East Lansing. It was a college town. Um, and some friends opened a record store. So by the time I was 18, I was working my way in for equity and operating and working as a buyer at an independent electronic music and hip hop and like hardcore punk record store. Um, and that was kind of my starting point. I, I moved to New York after that and worked my way in the industry through places like um, Caroline Distribution, uh, which has now moved around to some different parent companies. Indeed, Universal, I believe now. I actually stopped keeping track because I was like, every time I, I think I know what it is, I say it out loud and I look like I'm out of touch. Um, but yeah, working at um, places like Fat Beats Distribution, which was uh, kind of like the, the biggest hip-hop vinyl distributor um, and kind of hip-hop uh, retail chain um, in the world at the time. And then kind of got into media through companies like Accelerator and went on to work on like Spin and Vibe. Stereo Gum and Brooklyn Vegan and some other properties like that. And then my most recent uh, role right before A-Slice was um, working at a company called Yada Star, which was the creator and operator for Red Bull's uh, Red Bull Music Academy initiative. Um, and that was, you know, a huge opportunity that really kind of took tested all my skills that I had been developing until then and kind of uh, gave me the support network, but then also the reach to apply it at a global scale. So it's been, you know, a little bit of everything, but it also kind of all, you know, makes sense if I look back and kind of how that journey worked. 
It's really interesting. The, the amount of people that have come through the distribution uh, world, that, that's very much my background as well. And uh, I always think that that's, uh, it's obviously clearly a good training ground for people that do the work. Uh, a lot of work, no credit, low margins, exactly. high stress. I know, like we, yeah. we are geniuses for choosing that uh, that career path, absolutely. And and I don't know if you, as you, you'll be able to see on the videos, but um, Ethan's sitting in a recording studio. Do you also produce music as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, uh worked as an electronic music producer, as a DJ, hip-hop producer and DJ. Um, nothing, you know, not, I'm, not, I'm not going platinum or even going wood, but, um, you know, kind of a lifelong music creator and kind of working, working musician and working DJ in addition to all the other roles I've held. That's great. And, uh, and as you know, I'm, I'm over at Beatport at the moment, and, and it's, such a, it's such an amazing thing when you're in a company where everybody has their job, but nearly every single person is either a DJ, a producer, a label owner, a promoter, or you know something else as well, which I think is uh, quite uh, indicative of the type of uh, working environment that you know you, you can find yourself in in the music industry around a lot of creation. It's great. Absolutely, I mean, every I guess every job to a degree has had that that I've held, and I always felt like it was the exception when you meet somebody who doesn't have their own little passion project that's kind of adjacent to whatever the kind of, you know, what your day job is. So like, I don't know, that feels really, feels really normal to me. I've always felt like, like, oh, you're not, you're not doing this outside of work hours. Like, um, so yeah, absolutely. And, and here I am, however many decades later, uh, still doing the same thing. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in addition to that. Uh, and, and no, I, I do agree with you. I think that you, you can find yourself, especially these days where you've had technology come into the world. You don't necessarily always have people that are uh, actually active in the music industry because they're just doing the technology piece of it, uh, which is fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And actually, sometimes we could probably as an industry do with having the, the blinkers taken off us a little bit to see what else is out there in the world. Uh, OK, very good. Thank you so much for that. And so, uh, right. Elevator pitch, a slice. Just give us the, the quick elevator pitch, and then and then after that, I'll ask you about the history. So, sure. Elevator pitch first, history yeah. second. <laughs> Absolutely. So, a slice, the company we're we're just about to launch. I think at its core is a um, it's a software and service that's designed to accurately capture uh, what DJs play in clubs and festivals around the world, um, and then also is a technology that helps empower. Uh, performers, so in our case, DJs, share directly with creators, so music producers. So really facilitating that direct payment from, I earn some money at a gig, and let me share a little bit of that money with you people whose music I actually played at this gig um, without a middleman, uh, is kind of the, the real core of what we do. So, so completing the circle almost, from creation to performance and then back again. I think so. I think that or like in, in some ways I almost see it as like, you know, you, you think of one of those like time travel movies where they fold the circle. Like I sometimes think about it that way in terms of like you think about the traditional music industry and there's so many steps in between, hey, I'm this artist, I made this record. And then like all of those steps in between this music that you made at home or in a studio and the consumer um, or maybe the, the payment structures. Um, whether that's the, the mix engineer, the mastering engineer, the label, the managers, the agents, um, whatever of these structures in between um, historically have been impediments for creators kind of often getting paid. Um, I, I think there's, it's kind of like it's that simple. Like uh, there's a lot of people who are making music not getting paid. 
And all those people deserve to get paid too. We just think the creator really does need to get paid and they're often the last in line. Uh, yes, they they absolutely are. Um, I think I've spent my <clears throat> my life trying to uh, to help uh, get them paid, uh, so uh, so and and still not achieved it. So let's uh, let's let's try and figure it out between all of us. And this is a really really interesting concept, and we will get more into it. But how did this start? Because this is this is what what's nice about this is you've unwittingly played into my my uh, current theme of uh, the sort of post COVID. I've been doing a couple of interviews with people, you know, as in like, how was it for you type of thing? Um, and this is this is an interesting one because it began at what point? Yeah, so our founder um, is a DJ named DVS1. His, uh, his real name is Zach Kudaretsky. Um, and, and, and Zach is uh, a world, he's a touring DJ. He generally plays, I think, like 125 gigs a year. So he's a busy guy. Um, but he's not active on social media, so you wouldn't realize how busy he was unless you were his, you know, his agent or somebody on their agency team. Um, when he, when he, at the end of 2019, was doing what a lot of DJs and kind of people in the electronic music do, people tend to give like a thank you moment at the end of 2019 or at the end of any year, right? Um, and when he was doing his thank you, he was he realized like he had switched from vinyl to CDJ to CDJs earlier that year. And he had, for the first time in his life, could actually look back because he was saving his playlists um, in his in his uh, you know his DJ manager like his his DJ software. And he's like, for the first time, I can see like who am I actually playing? And he kept seeing a lot of like unknown names popping up as some of his most played music. So when he was putting together his thank you, he really you know his, his statement was something like, "Hey, you know my skills are what people know me for, but without the music, um, I wouldn't be anything." was kind of that was what his message was. And when he got done making his social media post, he went to his assistant and he said, hey, I'm seeing like 200 people on here that I'm playing the, you know, really playing these records a lot. Can you go track them down? I want to just send them a little bit of money and a thank you. You know, they sent me these promos, but like, you know, let's do something nice for them. Um, and his assistant was like, wow, that's amazing. But like, you know, uh, you know, F off essentially, like tracking down PayPal information for 20 people, much less 200 people, um, it, it's almost an impossible task. So, um, so Zach kind of forgot about it, but when COVID hit, he had this downtime, you know, after going from 125 gigs to zero and he came back to that idea. Um, and he thought there was something there. And essentially what he did is he, he kind of did it in, in a traditional business sense, which was he formed a focus group and that was with everybody from, you know, big DJs bigger than him to bedroom DJs, producers, um, futurists people in media, publishers, and he started asking questions about this idea. Um, and he did, he did like four rounds of focus grouping that kind of, as he was doing it, he realized like, this is actually maybe possible. Like we can maybe make this system for ourselves. Um, and with that, he mortgaged his house, hired a development team, brought me on board. We've since brought uh, a handful of other people on and of course some contractors but it really came from this idea of like, if I want to share with people and I can't, I don't have the tools to do it easily, but I can build the tools for myself, could I build them for everybody? Um, and that was that genesis of this idea and through focus groups. And then we've done a whole lot of, of talking to DJs over this last year. Um, we've been doing weekly info sessions. We kept getting this feedback. So this, this community feedback took this very simple idea and almost crystallized it um, and made it even better. Uh, and that's kind of 
you know, I think that that origin story of like how we developed an actual usable product that we're going to market with. Love that. That's uh, that's absolutely bang on the money in terms of, I think, how to frame what innovation is often. It's that idea inception because you're trying to figure out something for yourself and then you're you're thinking, well, wait, if this is good for me, then maybe this could be good for other people. And, and, and especially if it's an idea like this where you're trying to give money to people that otherwise wouldn't get it so that they can continue on doing what they're doing so that you can continue to benefit from their craft – that's that's the the brilliance of the music industry, the the industry part of of music creation. So uh, so I I absolutely love this, and you know so so much of it is similar to other companies that you that you see where there is just that thing of I I, I need this for myself, right? How do I go and do this? Uh, yeah, Beatport's just a, a, a acquired a company called Ampsuite, and Ampsuite began with this guy Keith who owned a, a record label. I, I used to buy his records from Baroque Records, and he he needed to try and solve how to pay his artists, and so he built this royalty reporting platform with a with a friend of his, and uh, and, it, and you know ten years later it became a business that a company like Beatport's interested in buying because we needed the software. So anyway, just you know, it's a really a uh, really, really good way of kind of looking at, uh, at the sort of the simplicity of what innovation is in some ways. Um, and I particularly like this idea because there is a level of simplicity to it as well. I, I really appreciate you, that you noticed that. And that was what, you know, our advisors were, were telling us, you know, we've had a lot of people who've, you know, who've, who gave us advice along the way. I'd love to, love to say this was just Zach's idea or just our team's idea. But like I said, it's, it's the community and, and we've had a lot of thoughtful people. But that was really the feedback that we got was like, this is so simple it could work. And, and when we did talk to our focus group and some of our advisors about some ideas we had about where we want to take it, you know, they were wise enough to keep us on track and say, no, keep it simple. If you add all these bells and whistles, actually, it's going to make it harder to make this happen. You actually, your core idea is there. How do you deliver on this, this core idea um, in, in the, the simplest of ways? Because every extra thing you build is going to cost money, cost time, or like make it harder to succeed or commu- you know communicate your message. So that that simplicity has really been at the core of what we've done, and almost at the at the core of every decision we've made um, in kind of bringing this idea to life. Well, I think if you can if you can carry on uh, in that in that frame of mind, then I think you will just continue to to iterate in the in the right way. Because I mean, I'm sure this isn't. Well, I'll ask you later on, you know, where you think this is going. But just before I do things like that, so how did you meet Zach then? Interestingly, we we crossed paths a few times, like kind of unknowingly. I had I had sent him music over the years, and he had played some of my records and, and given me support, but didn't didn't really know who I was. Um, before he started a slice, I think this was in 2019, he started a, a community based initiative called Support Organize Sustain, which was um, it was a he, it was a small kind of breakout conference at Amsterdam Dance Event at 2019, which was about how do we start conversation about the community deciding the direction of where electronic music goes as opposed to the business deciding where electronic music goes and was was kind of a rallying call for like hey uh, if our if if the community wants to control its destiny this is the time that we need to actually start collaborating and working together um, and when he launched this i was so impressed um, that i just reached out and volunteered and, and we didn't connect then uh, but when he was building this idea for a slice he was doing interviews and and from what I understand, uh, a few people had mentioned my name. And um, I think that comes down to just as a, uh, before A-Slice, you know, I've been consulting for a lot of businesses. I've tried to build my own 
you know, personal consulting practice on, you know, kind of some, some simple principles, which is like, I, I really care about doing excellent work. So like, so that um, coming out of Red Bull Music Academy, I really have a strong passion for community, making sure that everything that you do in music um, really puts the artist at the center of the idea. Um, I'm passionate about education. So I kind of, I think the work that tends to find me tends to be perfectly suited for me because I've almost kind of curated that like I'm to be the go-to person on a lot of these ideas. So I, I think, I think just somehow <laughs> naturally uh, he found me through some of these ideas um, and we hit it off right away, which was, was, which was really great. I mean, this, this kind of similar Midwest DIY background, um, no jobs too small or too big to take on. Um, and it was really natural, right, right out of, off the, out of the gate, basically. That resonates so much with, uh, with my own experience of being a consultant and you, you find yourself attracting the type of work that you actually want to do after a while. And I think it's, uh, uh, it, it's incredibly rewarding, but, uh, I guess like, like me, you found that there, there was a, there was an opportunity that you thought you could throw yourself into. And, and that's, uh, it's clearly a great fit. I mean, that, that community layer that you mentioned, I think is a, is a very good attribute of, of what a slice of what a slice is. So I do, so if you weren't doing this, you would just have carried on consulting until you found your next thing. Or, I mean, what do you think you would have been absolutely, doing? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I will say like, uh, working at Yonastar was by far the best professional experience I've had in my life. Um, I just had the most amazing mentors. I had a, our staff was about 70 full-timers. Um, I think about 70 people, maybe not all full-timers, but like, um, and so, you know, your staff is, you know, Jeff Mao, who's kind of like a legendary hip hop journalist and it's, you know, engineers who've worked on Grammy nominated albums. And it's the person who did the first death metal concerts in, you know, some regional part of Europe. And it's that person who brought X kind of music to X city. So you're like surrounded by all of these like experts and driven people that you maybe had heard rumors about or had met throughout your career. And those become your coworkers. And it was just this really amazing and inspiring place to work. So um, I was really depressed when, when that ended because I was like, wow, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to find um, an opportunity like that where I'm, where I'm around that much talent and have that much mentorship. And, um, I kind of felt I had to just go my own way and, 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 and challenge myself to how do I bring the principles of what we were doing there and, and kind of what the, the owners of the company had instilled in us. And how do I take that and take it with me everywhere I go and ideally leave some of that behind, um, and kind of in building a slice. And that's, that's kind of been the thing is like in creating a new culture and in creating a team, taking those best bits and, and trying to build, you know, build a new company on some of those principles has been, uh, I think like the best thing that could come of that. Like that's how you honor, um, working at a great company and for great people is you, you try to replicate that elsewhere or, or share some of that and help create those environments for other people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've, I've said this a few times on this podcast that, in my earlier career, I got to spend some time with, incre- with with some incredible people. And it's actually the reason why I do this podcast is because they spent their time talking to me about what, what they were doing and giving me these anecdotal stories. And, and so much of that information and learning that I got from it, I have translated into the point in time where I started to 
build teams, build companies, and 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 also I have to say all, a lot of things as well. I don't know how you felt. Things that I definitely won't do uh, as a you know as somebody in charge in an organization. You you learn quite quickly the things that just are not good. I I think the, what you don't do is uh, we we obviously don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But like what I would say is like I would really just build on that and say I feel so fortunate. I've had mentors at every step of the way, and I found new ones. You know, even you know, just to kind of give you some, I'm 41 years old, and I've found new mentors in my life, even you know, in these past few years. And um, I could say without a doubt that I wouldn't be anything without these people you meet along the way. And 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 you know, I I, I don't know if it's luck. I don't know how how this has worked for me. I will just call it luck. But there's also probably. Um, you know, some other stuff at play there, uh, you know, like literally whether that's, whether that's privilege, however you want to define it, but I am grateful for all the mentorship that I've received. And that's been a real passion point for me too, is how do you give back? Um, I think the unanswered question, and it's a bit of an aside here is there's other people who haven't had the luck to have the mentorship that I've had. And when you think about, um, so many companies not hiring full-time employees and we move in this contract world, you know, I worked for a long time in journalism and as you saw that people started not having staff writers, they started contracting. You have a whole, in that particular example, you have a whole lot of writers who've only had an editor in the sense of this is a person they've turned something into. They've never had an editor who's actually kind of guiding them from being a fledgling writer to here's how you become an expert writer. And I think that's a real shame. And I think that's something that, you know, parts of our industry really do want to be mindful of as we think about you know, what, what values will the next generation learn if we're not teaching them? Um, there's some things that are great to, to, to not have a history from, like that's innovation can come from there too. But I don't think there's anything wrong with giving people a solid platform to innovate from. Uh, very much agree with all of that. Uh, thank you very much. I couldn't have said it better. Uh, so let's go back to a slice now for... Um, the the idea of innovation, I, I think, it, it's never just as simple as the end product. The people that go, oh look, there's the iPod, you know, it's like ah, oh, innovation, brilliant. But along the way, there would have been, as as I'm sure you're finding, so many just little things that come up that you go, huh, how do we, what do we solve that? Like we didn't think of that as a problem, and and all those all those sort of iterative processes that you go through and i mean one of the big ones here is obviously you came up with this idea during a period of time when the idea of live music really wasn't a thing uh, i i mean i think you you were in america for most of covid is that right or were you in a, in australia i did a mix of both yeah my wife is australian so i, I came i came over uh last year um but yeah i did the first year of the pandemic and even before the pandemic my wife had some health issues and was on bed rest so i did I did a lot of, I did a 2020 lockdown in my house before COVID even hit. So yes. Right. And I mean, in Australia in particular, they were very militant about the lockdowns, for example. And I mean, in the UK now, the clubs have started to open up. I think they've started to open up in places like Berlin. But you're, you're creating a business that is reliant on that process that 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 live element to it now i guess there's the the on the online bit of it sure i don't know how many people are getting paid for their online gigs but because yours yours relies upon that payment uh for for the dj to to enable the, the rest of it so 
and and also these DJs haven't worked for a long time in a live sense right now. I mean, many often many are, are music producers as well, and they've probably hopefully seen a little bit of a, a rise in their, their online streaming income and downloads from Beatport and, and, and the like. But uh, you're asking them to part with some money at the point when they haven't really been earning. I mean, how, how did you kind of, you must've talked about that inside the, in, inside the organization. How did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think you've brought up a really good point. I mean, first of all, like just to zoom out, adaptability has been such a crucial part of what we've done, and 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 you've even touched on exactly why. We had really hoped to launch last summer. We at one point we were rushing to get a very bare bones a very bare bones product ready for um, summer of 2021 because it looked like hey maybe maybe things will reopen and will reopen for good, um, but. As you know, and, and maybe for anybody listening who doesn't know, I think to properly launch a product of almost any nature, you're looking at a bare minimum of one month, but really three months is, is, is kind of like a safe window to, like, to, to do it. Um, we realized kind of at a crucial moment, like we don't want to rush a bare, bare bones product out there. We can do some more work. Um, and we had changed to launch in the fall. And then we, of course, had the COVID lockdowns happen again. So we were constantly adjusting our launch window based on COVID. And every time we adjusted our launch window, we used it as an opportunity to incorporate either new ideas we had because we had been challenging ourselves behind the scenes. You know, when you're developing, your product is usually a little bit behind your thinking. So we're like, okay, well, we can add this feature now or we can change this. But we're also, as I mentioned, or uh, I, I may have mentioned is, um, in addition to running a focus group, we were doing these info sessions every week with usually like 10 to 20. Actually, no, DJs. no, you, you didn't, you didn't uh, come into that. So, so this is a, this is the process of, of, uh, trying to come up with, uh, trying to make sure that the product that you've got is, is, uh, has a good product market fit. Exactly. So that, that was exactly it. So we, we, uh, in, in the middle of 2021, we decided to start doing info sessions. We were calling DJs every day and telling them what we're up to. We were giving them essentially um, a little bit more than an elevator pitch to say, hey, this is coming. We'd love for you to think about it when we launch. We'd love to hear any thoughts or feedback. Um, and if you want to test it when we're ready for you to test it, we, we invite you. Um, and that was great. We were, we were having these one-on-one -on -one conversations, but we realized that wasn't sustainable based on some of the interest we were getting. So we created a weekly info session um, every Wednesday it was uh, 2 a.m. for me, which was uh, a, a delight, uh, staying up and, and kind of having a, <laughs> having a middle of the night That's phone the perfect call. time to be really sharp and on it, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> um, but what came out of that was we talked to 20 working DJs, or we talked to 20 DJs every week, bare minimum during the pandemic. So we were very, very much in tune with, uh, first of all, like what's happening in the world. We were analyzing that ourselves. Then we were talking to people you know, professionals, and we were, we were hearing, well, are you, are you gigging? What's it like? Um, and then whether it was said or unsaid, we were also getting some very, very apparent feedback of where, where were people's heads at throughout this. And um, in all honesty, part of that was really tough. Um, when you see how scared people are, when you see that people are depressed, um, but you maybe not, don't know them well enough, and maybe there's nothing you can even say to help them, um, it was, it was a really vulnerable moment, you know, for people, that, you, you, you know, you think you're doing this info session to tell them about a product, but, but really it was, it was something more than that. So you have DJs who usually tour and cross paths at festivals, seeing each other for the first time in a year or two. So you have this kind of joyous moments. 
but then you also maybe talk to somebody or you see somebody who's maybe going through a tough time. Um, so I felt like it was, it was something that was born from product development and really just making sure that we were uh, talking genuinely to our intended audience, but, but really became so much more in terms of like a, a connection point for people in, in a pretty dark period. That's, re- that's so, so interesting. I think a lot of people started the, the lockdown with the uh, hatred of video conference calls and then developed an actual a sort of a love-hate relationship with them in that they gave people, <laughs> you know, it, it gives you a, a, yeah. a better connection than just a yeah. phone call or an email or whatever. But, but yeah, I mean, eventually, eventually it, I mean, it's, and it still is in many ways something we've all got to sort of readjust, I think, our, 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 uh, how we conduct ourselves in our daily lives. But that, that, that I mean, it's what's lovely about that uh, scenario that you painted there was that, that you, again, that community aspect has come back into even the point of iteration in the innovation process of what you've, of what you put together. So it's, it's great. Absolutely. And like, just to give, you know, some, some examples we had, um, we had the label manager for, I don't know if I should, you know, name names or not, but uh, we had uh, Cornelius Harris, who's the label manager for underground resistance was, he was talking to us about, well, Hey, you know, to receive this money, we want to make sure that we're attributing, we have a band, you know, we have a group and we want to make sure that we're able to compensate um, all of these guys for their fractional shares of writing. Um, and, and that was like a, you know, that was one of those things. Like, wow, that, that would be great. That'd be amazing. Uh, you know, uh, and, and we admittedly, it was like a scary bit of feedback because it was like, wow, first of all, here's a guy that we respect, you know, like we have tremendous respect for. Um, they've, they've come, they've given us some genuine feedback that's really good. Um, so we have like a person who's really working in our industry who, who has a need, but it's a tough need, you know, to, to develop this kind of uh, technology where you're, you're able to really get deeper into this requires um, for us because uh, a lot of how we're gathering information, uh, we don't have all of the details. So we had, to, we had to actually think hard about how we might develop this. But um, that was actually the last feature we've just built was how do we pay individual members. Okay, so this idea of paying the contributor, I mean, this is a a bit of a hot topic at the moment in general in the industry. So, but but what's interesting, so maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't ask this question before. So uh, DJ gets a a record and they they play it in the club. They want to then compensate that, that owner of that, that recording. Who is the owner at that point? Is it the record company? So in our case, we've built, we've built, I think that's a great question. So this maybe is the best way to even summarize how a slice is different from any existing models that are out there, which is, um, I'm sure you've gone over this on the show before. I, I haven't looked to see, but I'm sure you've talked to people from performance rights organizations and you've talked about publishers. We've built something that is entirely separate from those systems. It's an additional layer. It's not an either or, um, it's an and situation. And for us, we really see our connection point is DJ to producer. So in our case, um, the people that we have decided that we are trying to make sure gets paid their fair share is anyone credited in the producer field. Um, and listen, we're deep in electronic music. So for, for those of you who don't know, remixing is a big part of our culture. So we credit and pay remixers. And then our third person that we've identified that's really important for us to compensate is anybody who is credited in a song title field. So if it was song name X, featuring artist Y, they are eligible for a split as well. Uh, we can't go any deeper than that in terms of writers, 
Um, that is actually what publishers and performance rights are actually organizations are set up to do. We don't have that kind of information. We don't have the kind of revenue that hires the kind of lawyers and have the databases to do that. That is a job that they are uniquely set up to do, and we and, don't see ourselves even capable and, of challenging think, that. Ours is much simpler. Yeah, and, and so to be clear, you said it at the beginning yeah. of, of that, which is this isn't a, a, an or situation. This is, this is an addition to. So all of, the, exactly. all of the existing performance royalties that are due under mandate by the societies and law and all that good stuff, all that's happening. This is on top. This is a this is a exactly. redistribution of some of those DJ fees to the people that actually made the music. I mean, <laughs> exactly, and it's faster, and we think it will be more. We also have tools that can help publishers and PROs as well. So because we're receiving all of this playlist, you, you read my mind about where this could go. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we're stamping what club it's played in, the dates, the city, the country. We're tracking if. Uh, if producers are registered with PROs, um, we're, we're tracking who their publishers are. So we have all of these tools available. Um, and kind of that's our next phase of our business is like, we have this information. How do we, we've built our own system, this A-slice model, this redistribution model, but there's this entire music industry that has existed long before us. Um, how do we engage at that level and bring value as well as, as kind of, you know, a, an entire conversation for us to, to you know, a, 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 to explore. Um, but we knew we wanted to start from the community to the community first because we need that foundation for anything else to work. And also, we think the community needs this. We, we think people need this uh, with urgency. Um, and I think the pandemic really taught us that, too, is how fragile our music ecosystem is for independent creators or independent musicians. Um, if we've been told for the last five years that, hey, touring is how you make your money now, um, and then you don't tour, uh, <laughs> what do we do? Uh, you know, so um, we think there's, the time is now. As soon as we started talking about this uh, prior, to the, prior to hitting record uh, and, and the call that I do with people before, I mean, I just, I just knew that what you've hit upon here is just a, a, a completely fresh approach to the, the same thing that's happening, right? It, you've not changed the dynamic of a DJ getting a record and playing it in a club. Like that's, that's the bit that's still happening. But what you've done is you've, you've ignored the fact that there's this whole other industry stuff that's going along with, you know, people trying to do audio fingerprinting and, and, you know, whatever else, like trying to work out what's being played in the club and then making sure that the, the, the PROs are, are getting their, their dues. It's like, you're doing that as well. Like that's <laughs> like, that's in addition to the other, the other piece of this, because of course, there's your your model relies upon participation by the DJ. Otherwise, there isn't a record of of what's 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 occurred. So this really is in addition to. But uh, but you know we all know that there is. And I had um, uh, Ola Zars from uh, uh, Soundtrack Brand on on, and he has this you know uh, business around making sure that when music's played in in public venues that 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 people actually get paid uh, for. Yeah, you know, that that sort of that business use of that 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 performance of the music through the um through the playing of the recording. There's there's an awareness in all of those conversations. Whenever you get into any of it, and there's a bunch of companies all trying to attach themselves to that piece of it because they see it as an underserved 
part of the industry because the societies, with all their good intentions, aren't equipped to to know what's actually happening in those situations. They've never had either the inclination to or the ability to or the funding to do invest in those areas to actually then go and, uh, and address it. And what and sorry for my long uh, monologue here, but the, the 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 interesting thing is that the more people I talk to in this space, and, I, and I've had a bunch of them on the show, and I talk to them, of course, in my day to day, many of them are now adjusting their mindset to saying, well, we are going to solve this for the music industry too. We just want to play our part. Like if we can help, we'll help. And, and I think that that's where you're coming from. Is that right? Absolutely. And I think just to, to touch on what you've said, like, so to bring it back to the simplicity that, we, that we've talked about, from our perspective, we have to operate this way. We have to be complementary because if you look at it glass half empty, we're, we're a team of, of reasonably bright people, definitely passionate about this mission. Um, to think that we could change this global music industry that has been set up this way for over 100 years, uh, we'd be foolish to think that we could actually make that change tomorrow. Like that it hasn't. Even you look at lawsuits with Eminem, uh, and, and Jay-Z and some of the stuff we've seen over the last few years, they might be able to address their own issues, but actually systematic change is slow. And, and, and our advisors were very wise to tell us exactly how slow that could be. So we knew that uh, from, from that negative perspective, we knew we had to think about community first, but then even positively, um, when we think about who we are and our approach to this, listen, this is not big tech. Um, you know, we're, we didn't start this to get acquired. That wasn't our mission. We started this to build something for the community that could work. And when you come from that perspective, everybody becomes a potential partner and there's no potential competitor. So for me, it's been, uh, I, that's just how I exist as a person. Like my, my kind of philosophy has always been like, you can do good while doing good business so that we can make that work for us here has been great because now it's not about you're doing fingerprinting that's different from us. It's more of like, hey, you're doing fingerprinting. Is there some way that these things can work together? Because as you mentioned, there's a lot of people who are trying to create change. Um, but, but what it's going to take is it's going to take some level of standardization. Um, and, and we haven't figured out what that is and where that is yet. Um, but we feel coming from the community, there's a certain level um, that that we bring something different to the table because we're representing the people who are actually working um, and, and also the people who maybe need to be served by these kinds of technologies directly. I have a question about sure. how you're going to keep these DJs engaged with your platform. You know, you know, it's like, it's like that thing sure. where when the pandemic first hit, there was a, 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 a and B-Port's done this, live streams that were charity based, right? And initially people were like, great, yeah, let's help those less fortunate than us and then after a while your entire feeds on your socials are somebody else is going live and there's a charity thing you know and it just became untenable from from that point of view and i'm not saying that what you're doing is is charity per se but there's an element to that right there's a choice right whether or not you want to give this money to, to others you don't have to um, so how, how are you going to keep them engaged long time? I think you sort of answered it a little bit there, but I just wanted to ask that question. Just No, I mean, this is, this is in, in many ways what I see as the most important question that we're asking ourselves. So I think this is the, the best question you could ask in many ways. Like, um, and the answer is, is both simple and it's, it's elusive at the same time. Um, it's our belief 
from from focus groups and from talking to people. And and there's some user behavior out there that that like is maybe a little too esoteric to get too deep into, but we do think coming out of the pandemic that people want to do good. They do want to, but they don't know how. So just starting from that perspective, uh, we feel like we've created an easy button for people. Hey, I know that this system is broken and I want it to change, but I never knew how to do it. And now I have the tool to do it. And it takes me one minute on Monday mornings. And that was a big part of the feedback is like, this has to be easy. That was like (laughs) the biggest piece of feedback through the, through the focus group, especially from those DJs who are playing two to four gigs a weekend, you know, who have assistant, you know, people who are really on the move. Like it's, it is a lot of work. They, They are doing a lot. So every minute does matter. Um, so making it easy was like that first step. Um, I think there is, when you think about how electronic music works, um, this is just a, this is not a real number. This is just a feeling. So it's not a fact, but we feel like a very, very large portion of successful DJs are also producers too. So with a slice, because DJs are sharing with producers, there is a bit of a feedback loop. If the majority of DJs are producers too, in addition to giving money, they'll be receiving money. Uh, we also think when people start receiving money, it's going to show them the power of this very, very directly um, and show them exactly how cyclical this environment really is um, to reward positive behavior. And, and that to me is, I think, really our challenge as we, you know, we're going to market next week is that we think for A-Slice to succeed, we have to build a new user behavior for our community. Um, the big, the big question that we get in a lot of the info sessions has been like, like, can this work? Like, you know, you, you know, you do your whole spiel and be like, yo, but like, can, can this actually work? Is like a question you might get. Um, and the truth is it works. You know, we, we've been in a private beta for about four months, testing with real DJs, playing real gigs, spending real money and not being able to talk about it. Um, they're just doing it to do the right thing. We know it works. So will we succeed is really based on does the community want to make a change uh, because we have this tool. Um, it may not be perfect. I don't think there is a perfect solution for anybody, but we have a tool now where the community can take its destiny into its own hands and say, hey, this current thing hasn't been working. Um, but with A-Slice or, you know, a, or as a complement to maybe other technologies, we can actually make this change and we can start today. And and so how are you finding the various contributors to make these payments? How, how does that bit work? As far as like uh, enlisting people to use the service? Does it require people to participate on both sides? As in, you're going to do this, you're going to generate some money, hold it in escrow, and then people, or are you going out to those that know, like a distributor, a label, or a publisher, and, and saying, hey, can I get in contact with you? Like, how, how does that, how do you make the payments? That's, that's a great question. So, um... So a slice is totally voluntary. We don't because we're not, the performance rights organizations are generally compulsory. Um, I'm sure again, you're probably better equipped to tell this story than me. So I, I will let you uh, give some additional context if you feel we need it. But a slice is totally voluntary. We view our service almost as a gratuity um, because we want to respect the existing system models around us. We don't, you know, we don't want to legally um, get between any existing contracts or structures. This is a gratuity. This is DJ X. I played producer, you know, A through Z songs. I like your music. Let me share a little bit of my money with you that I earned here. Let me share that with you. Um, So it's entirely voluntary. 
Um, and there's no way for us to make it not volu- like not voluntary only, only, but that's also the way it, it should be, right? It, it, if you, you can't force people to do these things because people get resentful. Like it's, it's the carrot or the stick. So we really wanted to focus on carrot behavior. Um, and, and again, it's about that feedback loop. It's about um, giving people these easy tools to do good. And um, so how we've been approaching it is, as I mentioned, these info sessions, we've gone out to 400 working DJs up until this point, either one-on-one or in these info sessions, and trying to enlist their support, get behind it, try this, um, try the service. We've only focused really on DJs because we feel it's actually their participation that's going to power everything else. Um, and just to kind of give you a sense, like uh, we had 110 gigs playlists get reported in our in our private beta and that resulted in 2213 producers earning money with us now, not a ton of money in, in most cases but just to give you a sense of that like 100 gigs reported in income for 2213 people so we haven't even addressed the producer side of this market who is hey i've never been paid before wow there's an opportunity to get paid for my art we think they'll be very passionate um, and very interested to hear about this, but we didn't want to aim for them yet because we really wanted to make sure that we had the DJ community behind this idea of sharing. Um, next week when we announce our public launch, it's like a traditional media campaign, um, community-oriented social campaign. So this kind of traditional launch model, and that's designed to reach the producer, but it's that, it's to me, it's I think it's been this kind of guerrilla approach of like, what happens if we just pick up the phone and call everybody, um, which is kind of insane, but also like kind of maybe the best way to get the community to get behind something. Yeah. So, so on launch, then uh, are producers going to come across a slice for the first time, go onto the website, presumably make some sort of an account or whatever, uh, yep. and there, there potentially is money there available for them to go and get. Is that, is that the intent? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it won't be dispersible. We, at the moment, we can only pay out quarterly. Mm-hmm. And that's just like a, a safety measure for us. We're just getting started. Sure. We want to move that to getting paid monthly. But you know, we're, we figure it's easier to start slow and, and accelerate than go the other way. Uh, but yeah, there's like there's 2,213 2, producers with some amount of money waiting for them. Um, the average amount of money that people earned per track play uh, in the beta was $1.40. Mm-hmm. Um, which you're like, pretty good. Uh, you know, d- you, how do you want to look at that? That's actually pretty, good, pretty good for a single play. Yeah. Um, when you look at how much you get paid per stream, that's a, a very different number. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. so, so yeah, it may not be much yet, but this is again from a really, really small limited private beta. But I think that number is pretty helpful to see how it's going to scale. Definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and look, you know, you, what you're also doing is providing an amazing bit of knowledge feedback in a, in a very, calculable sense that a DJ's played your record. <laughs> I mean, yes. right. That even that information, it has value. Uh, the fact that they're then so impressed with the record that they're also willing to part with some of their, their DJ fees. I mean, the whole thing, uh, is, is really quite beautiful. And, uh, I, you know, really, really hope that this goes the way you, you, you know, you want it to, because, I think you're really starting to, yeah, no, I'm sure. Like, I'm sure you got a lot invested in this, but it's, it just, yeah. it just feels like if you can turn the tables into this voluntary, you know, for good mentality, then the, the thing will work better. The whole thing will just 
work better. And the, and there's so much wrong with the way it is at the moment, but I, I love this. And so in terms of like, say I'm a producer, which I'm not, thanks uh, yeah. uh, to the fact that I have no skill whatsoever. But if I was, and I was to go on and I was to find that, oh, look, my, you know, my record's been played six times by four different DJs or whatever. Yep. How do you verify that they are who they say they are? Uh, this, this is a great question. So uh, we, we actually haven't, we've, we've really talked conceptually about it, but really the engine behind making this work um, and what we've done in development is, so first of all, just from a verification standpoint, and again, back to the simplicity, our service is about helping DJ share money with producers. Anything that doesn't do that is not our business. So um, first and foremost, we use bank level verification of IDs. Um, so we're using Stripe to like, identify who people are at a governmental level. And then our staff does a verification that they're the artist. Um, we don't even store that data. That's actually stored on Stripe's end. We don't want the actual security risk. Same with all banking and financial details. We don't want to store anybody's bank details. We don't want to worry about hacking. Um, we've externalized the, the process, but our team verifies that person X is artist Y. But before it gets to us, we have a verification that person X is person X. Just on that point, that's a, that's a really standard thing that happens now. Um, you, you have these sort of uh, these numbers, these codes that identify uh, an individual or, or an entity or, or something like that, but you don't know any more than that. It's only resolvable on the other database where the, the information is actually held securely. Yeah, no, it's it's an important piece to uh, to mention. But um, okay, so so you have that, and, and presumably you're learning as you go, and and then your ability to to speed that up is is going to continually get get faster. So this is that technology part is that we've built our own algorithm and then are using machine learning. So essentially, when, when you upload a playlist, uh, which is called a DJ history file, every uh, digital DJ solution creates one. And we have an app that if you're a vinyl DJ or you use Ableton or other, um, other DJ mechanisms, you play cassettes, whatever it is you do, we, we have a way to, to actually bring you in. But when you upload this DJ history file, our software is first using an algorithm and matching against databases, um, whether that's a commercial database or a retail website. Um, or it's our own internal database, um, we're matching that to say, this person played song X, title Y, and then this is what we're seeing as potentially song X, title Y um, in our databases. And then we're using machine learning um, to further enhance that and say, uh, you know, this name spelled wrong actually means this name. Um, and then actually we, we have like a whole another evolution of our machine learning coming soon that's going to go even deeper down onto like a user level. But um, before it even reaches a human set of eyes, we've already had, you know, an algorithm and machine learning that's matching against things to verify that when person plays song X, we're paying the creator of song X. Um, and by automating this, that's actually how we can make this whole thing work. Um, right now, we're at um, 82% accuracy. How, sorry, how much? Before... We're at 82% uh, accuracy with the machine learning without a human intervening at all. Um, and just to kind of give some context, that's pretty good in terms of the industry standard. Um, that's the number we're, we're, you know, we've included in our media release. We, we've got some improvements that are better than that, but like this is going to change as we add more users. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. As our machine learning evolves, it will go up. And then we have the ability to put humans in the mix to take this even further. So uh, are you using the lights of Jackster and Spotify APIs and things like that? Is that part of your uh, data no. reach? No. 
No, not at all. In fact, it's we're using mostly commercial databases, um, so retailers like Beatport, uh, but also services like Discogs. Um, we also have a thing called an A-Slice ID. So if you're a producer, you can actually embed a code in your track's metadata so you can get, play, you can get paid on an unreleased track. Um, you can imagine there's a next evolution in how we might deal with promo services. And we're kind of having some partnership discussions in that, in that angle of like, how can we help people get paid before their song has even been released? You know, if, if, we, if we accept that a lot of DJs play promos, well, shouldn't we help those promos get these artists paid as well? Uh, fantastic. Listen, offline, you and I should definitely talk because uh, I'm working in a similar area with, uh, with my people hat on. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, excellent. Very good. Um, okay. So uh, last question, I think. How far can you take this, do you think? Sure. I mean, you, at the moment, this is, this is dance electronic music. How, how, far can you take, yep. how far can you take this? So I, it's a great question. I mean, uh, at the simplest level, like we started in house and techno because, you know, DBS one is a, is, is a really respected DJ. You know, he's, he's a modest guy, but I could say nice things about him, but like, you know, people really respect him for his ethos and his integrity and what he has contributed both to his, to the, to the local scene that he came out of in Minneapolis and the U S but also to the world. And, um, we knew that that was going to open a lot of doors and, and same thing. I, you know, I have my own reputation independent of, of, of DBS one and independent of a slice. Um, we started here because we felt like we could actually engage with people we knew or we were one degree from. But um, we really think the next, the next realm, of course, is expanding. We're already kind of, uh, we've had a few people that have been really passionate from the drum and bass world who've been making all the introductions there. But we think this is just as relevant for EDM, for hardstyle. These are really passionate communities of creators. Um, we think this is really relevant for all of DJ culture. That really brings hip hop into question. We don't see that as uh, our next our next frontier, but like that is a huge frontier to tackle. But it's a lot more complicated because of how that part of the industry works. Um, but we think this could be for any DJ culture. We th- like, and and that's what we really want to explore. Is like this is about equity. This is about sharing. This is about creating something that's a little bit better. Um, from a community perspective and we think that's really relevant to any any kind of dj uh good answer thank you for that um and yes i get and 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 let's face it going back to the the idea behind this episode where innovation is concerned often working within a, a realm that you know well enables you to very quickly do the early stage learning to get to the point where you have a product that you can then take into new markets rather than going, well, the, the, the world is a big place. Let's just go at it all in one go. <laughs> it's a, that's a, that's a, that's a quick way to fail. In my opinion. I like this phrase that I'll share because mm. it impressed me with like, You can't boil an ocean, right? So nice. um, back to that simplicity, like that's really been again, like at every turn you, you, as, as you build your own business and, and, and Alex, I know you, you've done this, like there's so much temptation when you're building something because when you're, when you're around a lot of smart people and, and when you kind of have these moments of inspiration, there's so many different directions you can get pulled. But actually that clarity of vision uh, ends up becoming really, really important. Like you need to have the space to explore, but you also need to have the clarity to make sure that you're following your mission and not getting into mission creep. Like you really want to make sure that you're delivering on something that, that can be successful. Um, and so there was a lot of that temptation throughout this process um, but, but we always had to keep it focused in, but we, we clearly have a lot of places to explore, 
Um, you know, there's a whole data side of this, uh, the insights that you might learn. Um, we'll, we'll open this up to the public after we kind of launch our core service for DJs and producers. But that's that next phase is like opening this up to just passionate music fans who want to find out what DJs are playing their favorite song in their city. Or maybe they're like the ultimate train spotter and they want to see um, every set from their favorite DJ, you know. Uh, there's so much to explore even that, and that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we think um, this has the potential to do. Yeah, I mean, that curation layer is uh, is pretty obvious uh, in, in amongst what you're doing, and I think it's, uh, it's going to really broaden the uh, opportunity to discover within this particular genre because you are very much dealing with the people that uh, influence that change uh, as as you know as the sort of cyclical process of music discovery is very good excellent well ethan thank you so much this has been fascinating oh, thank you really fascinating uh good luck for next week i mean i don't think you need it because everything you've told no, me you. like you're well set up to, to to make this work so i i there's the adoption piece which you're i'm sure <laughs> you know about to discover whether or not you've got got it right but uh i think from everything you said i think you have so uh so i'm, I'm going to be watching from the sidelines but also there absolutely will be uh, talking to you more about this uh, with my people hat on good well thank you again yep thank you so to my listeners thank you for listening as ever i welcome all feedback comments and suggestions for future shows my twitter and instagram handle is at alex branson or head to the website where you'll find a contacts page also, shout out to the incredible audio assassins who provide the music branding for the show. And if you like the show, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.